Coming up on the show this week, we've got series results from Ireland, cup match in Bermuda, and the first half of our interview with German women's captain, Anurada Dodabalapur. But first, we'd like to give a big thank you to our patrons, whose generosity helps us to highlight all of the amazing stories from around the cricketing world. So if you like what we're doing, please consider supporting Emerging Cricket on Patreon, with contributions from as little as $2 a month to help us keep the website running and the content flowing. To sign up, just head to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Emerging Cricket. And now, back to the show. Welcome once again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, where we discuss news from Cricket's Frontiers. Today, we've got Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler, because Danny Beswick is once again flooded by Olympics work. And this week, we're sponsored by Rum Swizzles, uh, because we'll be talking about cup match in Bermuda, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> Tim Cutler over in Vanuatu, how's things? Things are going well, Nicholas, thank you. Um Good to be here and again sending our love out to Bez who's I think last tweet operating on four different screens and all these different sports and <laughs> he always amazes me with his, his interest and knowledge of, of so many sports so go well Bez I know he's enjoying listening to us as a fan because he doesn't have to do anything so that's always the best part of it. Uh, things are good here. I had a very funny conversation with my daughter in the UK who um, in school holidays at the moment. She's about to go into year 10, all very exciting, but uh, we were comparing temperatures as I was putting an extra blanket on, well, a blanket on, because it was getting down to a, you know, freezing 18 degrees here last <laughs> night. And um, she's like, what? You know, it's the middle of summer here, and that's, you know, that's as warm as it's getting. Busy times. Um, by the time everyone listens to this, we'll have had our, our gala dinner, celebrating Mark Stafford's 30 years as Ooh. president of the VCA and also 20 years of our development program, and that was when Pierre Chilia started um, 20 years ago as well. So again, similar to last week, if you're hearing my voice, everything went well, but uh, things are coming along nicely and getting that that all organised. Um, a couple of weeks off cricket, which for some of these old people like myself, are looking forward to the, the second rest and getting back into it. But uh, no, otherwise good, Nick. So uh, you there, unfortunately, still in, in lockdown. I know how much you've been editing. And what, what have you been doing more of? Are you been on spreadsheets or you been, you've been cooking more? <laughs> well, a bit of both my uh, my two uh, passions, I guess. One one of them is a bit more begrudging. The, the spreadsheets are in service of a uh, an upcoming project, uh, which hopefully I can I can manage to figure out how to visualize all the numbers and in a way that's appealing. But we'll leave that until it's uh, until it's published. <laughs> um, but yes, getting to the uh, the actual cricket that's uh, happened this week, uh, we saw the Irish women uh, win a home series at Malahide against the Netherlands two one in a four-match series where the, um, the middle game was uh, completely rained out. Uh, they had a reserve day and that was completely rained out as well. So good old Irish weather there. But 2-1 uh, to the Irish women, pretty comfortable wins in the first two games. And then the Netherlands upset them in the third to claim their first win over a full member in, we're pretty sure, all cricket, but certainly in T20 cricket. Mm. A couple of uh, good performances on both teams. Laura Delaney... For the Irish, scored some runs. Gabby Lewis, Rebecca Stokel, all got decent hitouts. Laura Delaney, uh, as a point of interest, became the Irish women's captain to lead the Irish women's team in the most matches, going past Isabel Joyce's record of 62. 
One little point I would bring up as well, we've seen a bit of chat about, uh, you know, the time it takes to run a full uh, 20 over innings in, you know, in relation to the 100 and, and the kind of justifications around that. So, for the three innings that were fully completed over 20 overs, they went for 78 minutes on average. So, I think it just goes to show that, you know, T20 cricket can be fast. You don't need to faff about. You can actually get it done pretty quickly. And and so, a lot of the kind of complaints about, oh, well, T20 cricket goes for four hours now. Well, no, it doesn't. Players just waste time a lot of the time. Mm. But that's that's a digression. Um, The... Uh, Netherlands as well, Marinda Feringmeyer, Babette Delater both uh, looked good. Babette, of course, uh, Bass's cousin. Uh, and with Sterra Callis coming back as well, you know, they've, they've got the core of a decent middle order. They were a bit behind on the bowling, but then some of the Irish struggled as well. So what, what do you make of um, where this is all kind of washing up in the um, upcoming women's qualifier for the T20 World Cup uh, that's going to be held at the end of the month? Well, it's, it's great that we're seeing an ICC event coming up in August you know, of 2021 in Spain. You know, we, we almost had a Cricket World Cup Super League round coming up, but that, that's been kibosh, so that's that's good to see. I think Ireland coming back after that, I guess you could call it a shock if it's the first time we've ever lost to a particular side and in home conditions, I guess that, that's a shock. And I think from, from my point of view from the Netherlands, like, look, I think we expect Ireland to do well and, and, and go through you know, we saw them only be one game away, really, from the T20 World Cup when Thailand got through in that, that amazing match uh, in Scotland back in 2019. But I, I think it's really positive for the Netherlands, as you said, this and the sort of bones of a, a, a good side. But for me, sort of on the, on the from a coaching perspective, you know, Ryan Campbell was there with the team mm, in, in Dublin. Yeah. And I, I know that wasn't publicised too much, but, you know, with, with Shane Dietz, unfortunately, uh, contracted COVID back in the Netherlands and not being able to go with the squad i guess decisions need to be made well you know hopefully shane's recovered and, and, and he's okay but i'm guessing that will mean that he can't go to the, the global qualifier if he's still recovering and then to go in and out of bubbles etc etc then so whether that means that that ryan will go with the the, the women's side hopefully he's, he's been able to build up a good rapport and by the result you think that he has and i'm quite excited you know knowing ryan as i do but that, that's a challenge for him um, seeing what he was able to do leading them the uh, the under strength men's side after going up two one against Ireland, um, what he could do with the the women's team too, even better if Shane's there as well. But that's going to be very interesting, you know, the conditions that not too many of them would have experienced. So I guess you know as much as we think Ireland will be the team to go through, we, we've shown I guess with this series that they're they're not invincible in in a region that that's up and coming, and who knows what we're going to see from the Netherlands. Yeah, and in these uh, tight competitions, you know, anything can happen. And you know, if the Irish do get tipped over, you know, don't forget Scotland as well with the Bryce sisters and Abtar Maksud, who's playing in the 100 and doing quite well. So th- there's a lot of quality in, in that qu- qualifier. And, you know, it all it takes is one upset and then the whole thing's blown wide open. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be interesting to see. Uh, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on it. And I think that'll be the first ICC series that is being streamed under the new IMG partnership as well that you know we've been waiting for various series and tournaments to be well to be held first and to be streamed so that might be number one which is great to be able to switch on and watch that and to see 
well, to get a feel for the, the quality that we're going to see from a broadcast perspective going forward with those ICC events. And you know, I can only imagine that everybody involved with that had kind of, again, been on the edge of their seats, you know, oh, this is happening, this is happening. Oh, wait, it's not happening. Oh, look, you know, it's all sorted, all sorted this month. Oh, it's not happening. <laughs> and I'd be very surprised if we didn't see our friend Andrew Leonard there angering again. And <laughs> But um, with games, multiple games going on at different different grounds, with all matches having to be streamed as well, I believe that's part of the deal with with. IMG and um, and and cricket clubs that all of those matches will be able to be watched live. You know, and we've been talking so long about trying to amplify the impact that uh, Associated Cricket can have by having a proper broadcast deal, and the ICC have done it. The ICC are paying for it, uh, and I guess whoever's coming to pay for those rights need to uh, recoup those funds. So I'm just hoping it's at a level where we can get as many people watching as possible. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how that uh, you know that first sort of test case goes, and and hopefully it's a it's a good production and uh, and lots of people tune in. Um, and speaking of matches where lots of people tuned into the stream, uh, cup match in Bermuda, the famous public holiday in Bermuda where they <laughs> the whole island shuts down to watch a two day game of cricket, uh, celebrating Emancipation Day in Bermuda where slavery ended on the island, which of course. Is very important to them. Um, it's between the two clubs, St George and Somerset, which sort of roughly represent half of the island each. And this week, uh, St George batted first. They declared at eight for 151, with Arondo Bascomb hitting 46. They were cruising at 100 and something for three, and then a, a big old collapse. Somerset, in response, Chris Douglas hit 128. One of their young batsmen. Will be interesting to see him, you know, if he if he comes through to the national team, um, and and Somerset were bowled out for a 281 on the second day, and it sort of all seemed to be meandering to a draw, but a, a dramatic collapse from St George. You know, they were they were bowled out for 130, but it was a really tense finish with four guys around the bat and Somerset desperately trying to take the last wickets before the end of the day's play, and one of those, you know, they're trying to block it out and trying to block it out, but. Eventually, they were all bowled out for 130, which, uh, if you're doing your maths, means that they were, the scores were level. So, Somerset had to come out and uh, knock off the one run, which uh, Kamal Levrock managed to do in style. He, he pumped it a mile over cover with a huge hit, uh, which he, he's wont to do. Um, and Somerset retained the trophy. Yeah, they've, they've been pretty dominant in, in recent times. So, yeah, good, good event. Um, good effort with the stream as well. I think it might have been the first time they've streamed it, so it was really nice to to be able to see that from um, you know so something that is talked about quite a lot in in the cricket world. But we I've never I've never actually seen it. Only photos, but um, smaller crowd than usual due to COVID. But uh, yeah, I was a bit disappointed there wasn't much sort of publicity from the the um, Bermuda Cricket Board. I think I saw like maybe one tweet from someone about it. Just it's like the only reason I really knew it was happening was that. Kamal Leverock was tweeting, so you know, if, you, if you weren't following the right people, you, you would have had no idea that you know, one of the great events in in world cricket was was happening. Yeah, another another year and uh, another time we're not there, huh? But you know, yeah. there's always 2022. But Kamal, you talked about him pumping it over cover to to win the game. <laughs> he, he's had one of the uh, yeah, he's had oh, a rough couple of weeks. <laughs> what would you what would you call it? You know, he's been out at the winning runs, but in the weeks leading up, what he's had quarantine trouble on the way in. And Mrs. What was it? His auntie's mm, his aunt's birthday, yeah, yeah, auntie's auntie's birthday, and then and then he gets out early in the first innings. It's like ah, oh, cheers. But then I I guess at the end of it, you know, we always talk about the great cricketer version of this. It's like well, he scored a hundred, they lost, but this this is the this is the reverse. You know, he nicked off and got none <laughs> of the first innings, and then 
and then one i think uh, most of us you know crossing our fingers that uh, we'd be we'd be happy for that for the win but uh, yeah as as you said it was bizarre and especially seeing press releases coming in from bermuda cricket on the ec email you know this is something you'd want to be celebrating and going on look i know we're in the middle of the olympics and and there are a lot of people watching watching other things, but this is is probably played at a good time as well, where you know the things aren't happening in in in, in Tokyo. Yeah, but as you said, it was great that uh, it was streamed, and hopefully uh, more of the same coming because you know for a country or a territory of sixty five thousand people and something that stops the island for for two days, and I know we talk about it a lot, but any country that has a two day public holiday, any associate <laughs> a two day public holiday for a cricket match you know deserves our love so uh yeah still twenty thousand views on the stream and as you work that out <laughs> that's a third of the population i'm sort of working out in my head of like uh, how great it is like the vanuatu development numbers and what the percentage that is of the of the population like this this knocks that out of the water in terms of uh proportion wise doesn't it yeah and i mean it, i think it, like there wouldn't have been that many people watching from outside because you sort of really had to know that it was happening to to be tuning in so it was it seems like that would be largely uh, local numbers as well, which is great. And <laughs> I don't know. It's it's interesting that it is. It's a very important sort of local celebration, and th- they don't seem that interested in selling it to the outside world. Which you know, in a way, that's kind of nice that they're keeping it as, um, you know, as, as a precious local, uh, you know, event. But um, in on the other side of that, it's it's a bit sad that they're not you know sharing that with the the cricket world. But um, yeah, good good to see it happen after it was cancelled last year. And looking at the time, we've probably got time for one more story, and that's the big one in associate cricket this week, of course. Paris Kadka, the uh, the atlas of Nepali cricket for the last uh, sort of decade and a half, nearly two decades, has uh, called it quits, hung up the boots. He's announced his retirement this week. Yeah, as you said, atlas, I was thinking, geez, the, the sporting cliches that could be used to describe Paris, you know, talisman talismatic you know all these mm. when you actually look it up you know, yeah yeah that 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 works as well but i think bez said it perfectly in his tweet you know the the effect that he's had on and for cricket in nepal can not be overstated he played 250 times for his country and everybody i'm sure is rushing straight to certain cricket websites to look that up and you say well no all those those games don't add up to 250 it's because Peter Delapena has done the work and gone back to all the matches that he's represented Nepal in World Cricket League that uh, that won't pop up on the main, the main websites. But this is a guy who played in three under-19 World Cups for his country, which has got to be a record in itself, and was earmarked as a, as a leader. He's captain by the age of 21. I have to say he, he brought the team kicking and screaming you know behind him Gulliver that's what I'm thinking of Gulliver we'll add another one there as he drags he's <laughs> dragging everyone along behind him from the the bottom of World Cricket League well World Cricket League Division 5 all the way through to a World Cup T20 World Cup in 2014 where Nepal defeated Hong Kong and Afghanistan in their group you know Bangladesh was the other country and if Hong Kong had beaten Bangladesh in quicker time uh, in that amazing last match upset it would have been Nepal going through rather than Bangladesh and you know uh, in that time it would have been Nepal going through so that was an amazing performance there and then yeah even though Nepal had a shocker of a World Cricket League Championship between 2015 and uh, 2018 or 2017 I should say they came good in the World Cup qualifier in Zimbabwe they beat Hong Kong <laughs> again and 
retained their spot or at least won their spot back in Cricket World Cup League 2, won semi-permanent, shall we call it, ODI status for that period. <laughs> and then, you know, Paris again leading through there. And, and, and just, just for good measure, you know, in their first ODI victory against the Netherlands in the Netherlands, he was bowling the last over, got the run out off the last ball for the Nepalis to win by one run. Retired, well, I should say resigned from, from captaincy not long after that. And as Peter Delapena says eloquently in his Crick Info summary, I don't want to sort of make out that this is all my own work. You know, I think the, the missing piece of Paris's puzzle, geez, there are a lot of P's there. I'm pretty impressed with that, uh, <laughs> was that he never really got the chance to play big time franchise cricket. You know, we saw him play some T10 recently in in the UAE, but the rest of the world probably hasn't and doesn't appreciate Paris Kadra as much as associate cricket does or or as much as, as Nepal does. But what an, an amazing career. Like I know he's got some involvement with some of the franchise tournaments in, in Nepal, and I'm sure he's built up such a network of contacts and, well, and respect there that I'm sure his name is, is not going to go away. But... Um, Wow, what a career, Nick. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see where he goes next. I, I like your comparison of Gulliver and, uh, you know, Paris dragging everyone else along with him. I, just looking, you know, he, he missed the, um, the the recent series in Nepal, the T20 series against the Netherlands and Malaysia with injury. And you know what? They didn't miss him. And that, that was a really important step, I think, is that, you know, so he's almost, it's sort of a bit like Peter Boren in a way. You know, he's retiring just as he's sort of brought his team along to the next level. Uh, mm. Boren obviously retired just after the Netherlands qualified for the ODI Super League, but he never never got to play in it. And um, Paris Kadka's retiring just as it seems like they're, you know, Dave Watmore's putting the pieces together of a, of a competitive side that's not, you know, <laughs> 100% reliant on Paris for, for both batting and sometimes even bowling. And before we go, I just want to give a massive shout out to Nate Hayes, mm. who's just as last week published our first minor league uh, weekly show in, in partnership, really, with Major League Cricket and Minor League Cricket that will be putting out those shows regularly, hopefully every week. But uh, put together a forty-minute summary show, and looking forward to to minor league and his piece on on how to watch it. I know that lots of people have read that already, and we'll be seeing a, an emerging player of the round for the minor league as as, as that going on so jump over to our youtube page for those that that haven't already subscribed to us there and i think nate will have the inside line on everything that's happening in, in the usa there and if you're interested in finding out more about the minor league make sure you head over to our youtube channel and check out nate's tournament preview as well as his wrap of last weekend's action but for now it's almost time for the first half of our interview with german women's captain dr anirada dodabalapur there's just a bit of news to keep everyone aware of with several international series getting underway in the next week. First up, between the 5th and the 8th, is a men's tri-series hosted by Germany at Krefeld, where they're joined by France and Norway for a double-round robin. Then, between the 9th and the 12th, Italy's women make their T20i debut in a home series against Austria at the Roma Cricket Ground. Finally, Estonia will be hosting neighbours Latvia and Lithuania in the Men's Baltic Cup on the 12th and 13th of August. The comp will be run in the T20 format, though without official status as Latvia and Lithuania are not yet ICC members. And now, it's time for Dr. Anurata. Hi, I'm Julia Price and I'm the USA Women's Coach and you're on Emerging Cricket Podcast. 
Well, this week's guest is a multi-talented woman from Germany. She's a cardiovascular research scientist. She's an all-rounder and captain of the national women's team, and I believe the first guest with a PhD to join the show. Guten Abend und willkommen zu the Emerging Cricket Podcast, Dr. Anurada Dodabalapur. <laughs> Vielen Dank. <laughs> <laughs> For the kind introduction. Happy to be here. And we're also joined, of course, by Nishad Rago, uh, editor and senior contributor at Emerging Cricket. Now, Anurada, your personal story is a very interesting one. You, you moved uh, from India to the UK and then to Germany. Talk us a bit through you know, how you've gone around the world with cricket and education, sort of the two kind of passions in your life. Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey. I mean, I'd, I'd say it's mostly guided because of academics. Cricket just uh, kind of came along. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of those decisions to move, uh, none of them were, in fact, reliant on, on cricket or no cricket. I guess it was more of um, what I wanted to study or where I wanted to be. So it was do that. 2009 was when I moved to to the UK. 11 was when I moved to Germany. So it's it's already almost a decade since my um, stay here in, in Germany, and I've been in Frankfurt all through. So, yeah, I mean, it, looking back, I think it was some interesting decisions, but uh, super happy with how how things have turned out. And um, I, I mean, I would have never thought that I'd be in Germany, you know, at this point in time and playing cricket and leading the national team and still getting to do what I do for a living, what what I love as much as cricket. So yeah, it's kind of strange looking back how how everything fit in place. So uh, quite happy with that. <laughs> well, before we get to the cricket, which perhaps is your first love, maybe not, um, tell us about the gig as a cardiovascular research scientist. What do you actually do and what do you study? <laughs> it's very rare that on a, on a cricket interview I get asked this, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go all guns. Well, we're, we're an educational show. <laughs> Nice. Um, so I, I basically work more on um, vascular biology. So it's you know understanding how how blood vessels grow, how they sort of maintain themselves throughout the lifespan of uh, of you know ideally mammals and humans because you kind of do a bit of translational work. Uh, but I do work a fair bit in in human cells, also on some animal models. So. My work is more so understanding a couple of key proteins that allow for kind of sustained growth and maintenance of of blood vessels. And in a, I mean, you can apply that in in a disease context in terms of um, you know recovery, for example, from from injury, from uh, infarction or, or or a heart attack, as as you say. Um, you know, where, where there's a need for new growth of vessels or the other way where in terms of uh, a tumor environment where there's excess growth of vessels and you want to curtail that process. So it's understanding how certain genetic pathways um, kind of uh, regulate the general um I'm trying, I'm trying to really strip this down to very simple words. <laughs> dumb it down for us, yeah. And it is hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so it's not necessarily just, just the heart. It's it's blood vessels. It's like, you know, conduit all through your body. So, you know, as they say, you're as old as your blood vessels are. So it, it's kind of relevant for a lot of diseases and um, as a risk factor as well for multiple uh, health issues across the globe. So it's it's an exciting field to be, you know, every day is new, new questions to ask, new problems to solve and I really enjoy that aspect of being a, a biologist a scientist trying to understand you know fundamentals of how how things work yeah so is that always the kind of focus for you like when you're little or did you just sort of like science in general and then 
sort of slowly specialize or you're always always into like the, the circulation um good question i mean i always liked biology in in high school or so so i did get into university so my bachelor's was in uh, engineering and biotechnology so this was around the time when there was a fair bit of boom so i come from from bangalore which is a city in the south of india and that's like the it capital of the country or we call it the silicon valley of india <laughs> and every other person you know from bangalore is into information science computer science something on those uh, areas but i think there was a time when biotech industries really uh, boomed a fair bit um so at some i, I think in high school already I kind of knew I'd get into either medicine uh, or biomedicine so I guess that was a so given and um, I think there were new opportunities coming coming up with different courses at universities so that's how I got into bioengineering and then by the end of it it was more getting into pure sciences or pure life science so yeah it was a bit more genetics I did my my master's was in medical genetics um, that was in at uh, Newcastle University in the UK so um, yeah and I think during my project work during my master's I went more into cardio sciences and uh, that continued and built up on that during my PhD as well so it's almost 10 years that I've been uh, involved in um, vascular biology yeah can't believe it <laughs> but yeah so this is a cricket podcast as as you said <laughs> so where, where does you know what's your cricketing story that's your sort of scientific story where, where does cricket fit into all that um well it, it, every way when when there's not science happening there's cricket happening <laughs> to put it simply but um i mean i started playing quite young so you know growing up in india it's it's also something that you you know play with your siblings with your neighbors backyard cricket or you know we call it gully cricket back then and and I have an older brother so I kind of did pretty much everything that he did so and also play with his his friends around um but I was lucky enough that in high school this was um this was grade grade 6 or grade 7 I had somebody in my class who was playing for the state side uh which was Karnataka um so she she was part of the 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 under 19s or under 16s even and we used to sometimes play together you know waiting for our school school bus to pick us up or you know when you had uh, a pe class or so and she said hey how about you come and try with our setup and so why not uh, so that's how i got into it um like a more organized kind of training and um what has been kind of no looking back since so i kind of played for almost a decade i think until i left to the uk so yeah, 90 98 99 until 2008 so as part of the uh, the state side and also the the zonal or the regional setup so uh, that that was that was great and i think really missed a lot of classes whether it was school whether it was university there's the weeks and weeks of uh, you know tournaments happening and in india we kind of played throughout the year so i wasn't really the most <laughs> how do I say, the, the, the person in, in class who was all, like, you know, omnipresent, I, I, half the time I was missing is, you know, photocopy notes from classmates. So I, you know, clear my exams. So, <laughs> um, but I still enjoyed the, the academic side of it. So it was never like, oh, I want to be a cricketer. So I don't, you know, I don't care about study or so. So I, I enjoyed it just as much. So uh, I'm glad um, kind of it, it's almost like parallel paths uh, going through all these years. Um, so that was my entry into cricket. And I think after having moved to the UK of course you know it's it's the same if you're in the UK and you don't play cricket especially when you've got great facilities a, a good I mean it's well established as probably uh, one of the more popular sports there so 
uh, that was again through university and uh, I had a I think, couple of seasons for, for the Northumberland County team. So that was quite exciting. Um, yeah, long way back. <laughs> and how does that work as, a, as an international student, I suppose, playing for a county team? I mean, it's obviously possible, but is it a professional setup? At that point, it wasn't. So I think we even didn't play in the first division, if if I, if I recollect, right? Because uh, we were probably like second or third division um, in, in the Northeast. I mean, considering cricket wasn't super popular up there, I think it's a bit more uh, in, in the zone, mostly like Southern as well as in uh, Midlands or so. So at that point, it was... It was- not professional at all so you you still played on weekends you trained uh, weekday evenings or so so Saturday I think our county games were mostly on Saturdays or Sundays so uh, it was still amateur so um, which, which was easy to manage because I guess otherwise if it was more of a, a professional setup would have been difficult to manage with with my study or work schedules um, same as it is now so uh, but I'm, I'm actually glad that things have changed and I guess uh, for a lot of people who now want to take up cricket whether in the UK or I think most other countries to have that option to be a professional player and not having to kind of do another job for sustenance is is quite nice to see Um, but that kind of speaks volumes for how much women's cricket has grown across the globe yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask, um, I mean, we know, broadly speaking, the last 20 or 30 years, the growth of the game outside of the test countries has been led by a real spurt in migration, largely out of the subcontinent. And, you know, Germany has been a beneficiary, um, a recipient of a large number of migrants, both forced migrants and skilled migrants. Mm-hmm. And, and you clearly, you know, exemplify that that journey, having played in the UK and now in Germany. I mean, I'm interested in in how you how you see your identity as a cricketer. What does it feel like playing from Germany? Do you see yourself as German? Are you? Are you still hold your Indian citizenship? Trying to tease this out in a way that's yeah. well, it's relevant to you as well, Nish, as third culture kids. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I grew up in India, played in Thailand played in Australia it, yeah so I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. that's a really good question I mean I, I still hold my Indian Indian passport although I've lived here for for long enough but I think having played for the German national team now what seven eight years or so I, I think when I'm playing cricket it's you know the the game the team comes first um so the I mean I, I've said this in, in previous interviews as well so I mean I I wear the German jersey with as much pride as I would have worn my state jersey or if I had played for any other country or so so I guess it's you I mean I you know for me having lived in multiple countries you know over over a period of time almost like you're you're a global citizen so I I don't identify oh I mean it's not a question I'd ask myself unless you know something like this comes up so there's there's a lot of what you take with you from you know your childhood the background the upbringing all of that it's kind of part of you and then I guess in like formative years you've lived in different countries so you kind of pick up a little bit of that so it's it's kind of a nice amalgamation so I don't know how people would describe me if they say oh you you still are very Indian or are you more German I don't know (laughs) So um, I think with, with cricket, you know, you're a representative of the national team and as captain more so. And having seen the kind of development we've had over years and being involved in it in, in many different roles, um, I think for, for German cricket, you, you you are a German cricketer. You're the captain of the national team as well. So uh, in terms of cricket, that's how I'd you know totally identify with. Uh, but as a person, as I said, you know, it's, it's more like you're a global citizen. I, I guess a... 
your passport is just a you know piece of paper i don't know if that really if, if that is your identity as such for for paperwork surely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that answers your question but um yeah it, it's a bit vague but that's how it is it's blurred lines yeah. after yeah. a point <laughs> no it absolutely makes sense yeah, and sort of almost like layering on top in a way, I guess, because I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> speaking of paperwork, you know, I, I have two passports as well. Like, it's it's kind of there's room for more than one identity, I guess. And I, I just sort of I am interested as well because it's a you know it's a big topic at the moment in Germany, you know, migration and and the role of that and and various political developments going on in certain parts of the country. So I'm just sort of seeing where you, are, as someone who is representing Germany on the international scene, mm-hmm. but you know d- didn't you know wasn't born in Germany. Well, how, how does that all kind of um, balance out for you? Um, yeah, I think if we look at our team in in general, I think we're a really really good mix of players of. Of characters as well. Um, so we've got about 60-70% who are, who let's say, learned their cricket in Germany. So grown up in Germany, I mean, native German. I, I find that word a bit strange, but mm. you know what I mean. And I think the 25-30% of us are people who call Germany home now. So we've, we've got a couple of Aussie girls, we've got an American, we've got somebody from Kenya, but again, all of us have been living here at least six, seven years now. And I think initially when I started to play for the national team in 2013, the criteria was that you should have lived for 18 months to qualify to play for the national team. But now, of course, the ICC uh, criteria as, a, as an associate nation, I think it's three years with you know, a certain number of days that you lived in the country or so. So, so it's... Um, I think it's a good representation of what we are in terms of, you know, the diversity and inclusion and all of that we we speak. So, you know, we're we're very proud of that. And it's also reflective of the interest of locals in in the sport, because, you know, that's what really drives development if you look at it from, you know, at at a grassroots level. So... I think that identity kind of blends in with everybody, how they feel and what they what they bring to the squad. And again, the, the landscape for women's cricket is very different to how it is for, for the guys because with with a lot of the, the immigration boom and, you know, the whole, how do you call it, the, the, the wave of um, refugee migration that happened about four or five years ago. And that was the talking point for the longest time in terms of boom of cricket in Germany. But I think that was very relevant for the men's cricket scene. It didn't really change anything for women playing cricket in Germany. So yeah, so so sometimes when when you see articles about cricket in Germany, it's you do have to delineate how this kind of works for for the men's setup or the youth setup or, or for women. And it uh, it's a it's 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 interesting. It's it's an interesting mix. And um, as I said, I think for us as a, as a national squad, it's something we're all very. Uh, we, we respect each other's backgrounds, what we bring to the team and how we are as a collective. And I think that's that's one of our biggest um, positives as a unit. So yeah, I think I drifted away from uh, what you asked. but <laughs> That was actually one of our questions, you know, the multicultural team and being sort of representative of modern Germany. Uh, just looking at the um, kind of education profile of the women's team, is it perhaps the most educated cricket team in the world? Quite possible. We joke about this all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is the case with some other sports, but it, it just, you know, tends to attract all, all the intellectuals in the country <laughs> to come and play cricket. So. But it's good, you know, it's, it's a nice bunch of people and they're, they're smart, they're very, uh, I, mean, I think it's also quite a, quite a German thing to be like, you know, very analytical 
that you know perfection and and getting down to to details it's just uh, kind of runs in the blood i suppose but uh yeah no we've, we've got people from very different professions we've got a few teachers uh quite a few with a phd uh medical doctors some studying to be medical doctors statisticians you name it we've got it so so it's a pretty cool unit <laughs> yeah and i guess speaking of you know all of you being or many of you being in the academic field and and professional keen to understand how you guys balance the demands practically speaking of being aspiring elite level cricketers whilst also being professional i mean what does a what does a week look like for you for example in terms of your work and your training yeah it's it's quite packed um <laughs> simply put i think we're all trying to squeeze as much time outside of um you know either study programs or or work schedules to to a stay fit um and especially now in the last year and a half considering we don't get to meet that often because of the pandemic i think we so we try and do like fitness sessions twice a week it's sometimes over like a zoom call and then there's usually local training so if you're enrolled at a club uh, where you live or so so uh, some of the girls are training there with their club or even coaching the women set up because i think a fair bit of the national players kind of drive the uh, the domestic structures in a way um and on weekends is when we play most of our games so whether it's the the bundesliga which is our you know hardball domestic competition it's usually on a saturday or a sunday so that's that's most of the cricket that we play is is over the weekend so you can manage time but if you've got a job or let's say your schedules where you are committed to your profession on a weekend then it's then it's quite hard to manage but i think a fair number of us have like a usual monday to friday work week and and saturday sunday's off so we try and get all the cricket in uh, same for the national team as well we usually we meet once a month for a training weekend and we're all based in different parts of the country so we we get together at, at one location wherever it is um and then it's all of saturday most of sunday and then drive back or take the train and then monday morning you're back at work so it's like living two lives yeah. <laughs> uh, but i think we all enjoy it so so can't complain but but over the years i think the the workload or the training load and activities events that we take part have have considerably gone up so it's i, I mean i think 5 years ago we didn't have as much cricket as what we are playing now um domestic as well as national team fixtures but that's also a conscious effort we've made to kind of push to get more to play more opportunities to play and fixtures and all of that so it's it's growing i'm keen to see how in 68 years from now how much um i hope it 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 goes more towards you know professionalism and people having to not having to make the choice between do i have to have a day job to support being a professional cricketer or not um but you know of course we we're still an associate nation i guess funding all of that uh what happens in the background it's it takes a while but that's the hope and i think we're all working towards that in in our in in the best ways possible so the uh the getting on to the national team you know the the, the team is on a hot streak of uh, 14 matches consecutively winning you you're sneaking up on the record of uh, i think it's 16 for australia and 17 for thailand mm-hmm. uh what's the kind of team dynamic obviously you're you've had a lot of success on the field how is that kind of rolling into your preparation for the europe qualifiers which are coming up and and kind of just the general trajectory of the national team Um yeah I mean we you know that's the qualifier every two years is something we always looking forward to because it's um like you're playing against some of the better teams in in the continent if you like and I mean, we're just happy that in the last 18 months despite the circumstances we've managed to 
sneak in a few tours, whether it was the home series recently against France or the the tour to Austria last year when we just had that window where <laughs> we weren't in lockdown. Um, and and just before that was at least the the start of the whole winning streak was in was in Oman. This was February last year, uh, just before you know the world kind of uh, turned upside down. And I'm 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 just really glad that. All of those results have been, you know, in 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 our favor, and um, I suppose the series versus Oman was was the one which we were we, we weren't sure what the opposition's like because we've never played them or hadn't seen much of it. So that was a, an interesting start. And Austria and and France we've, we've played before, so we kind of had a bit of an idea what what the opposition was like. And I think le- that leading up to the qualifiers, it's it's good it's good practice for us now. The the series last month, but it's it's you know it's some tough competitions that we're gonna face with uh, with the Dutch, uh, the Scots, as well as uh, Ireland. So Ireland will be the first time where we take on a test playing nation. So that'll be interesting to see. And you know we we're pumped. I, I guess we've done the best preparation that we can in the last few months. And uh, uh, we've you know, we we played the the tournament two two years ago. We had some tough defeats, but all, of course we've grown a lot since. That, I think the last time we played was all, also in uh, La Manga, so it's going to be nice to go back to the same location, um, play these oppositions. And um, as I said, we've we've grown together as as a team, and we've had a few more people coming into the squad. Uh, I missed out the qualifier two years ago because I was just out of a back surgery. That was just absolute bad timing. I think it's like a like something I just want to wipe off from memory because it was just pretty <laughs> heartbreaking to to not be able to play after all that preparation. But uh, I guess the the opportunity uh, in in three weeks is is going to be something I'm trying to make full use of. So. Uh, we're, we're super pumped and I think we would like to kind of showcase what uh, or how much we've grown as a unit and um, we'll see how, how the results turn out and you know it would be nice to surprise a few people who, who are going to watch us and not aware of our uh, you know our strengths in, in a way so that'd be cool to see so we're, we're all quite uh, excited to to play the tournament. Yeah Germany missed out of course, uh, in the 2019 qualifiers, but you know now you're back. Uh, um, the, the qualifier is at the end of the month, the 26th to the 30th. It has France, Ireland, Netherlands, Scotland, and Turkey. Only one team goes through, though. So you know you, you've mentioned that you think you're in a better position than you were last time. What's sort of changed or, or developed in the two years since then? Um, so we've had, um, I mean, we've, we've got a fantastic coach in, in Michael Tullis. So he's a, he's a level three coach based in, in Ashington in, in the UK. Uh, so he comes down every time we, we train or we get together or for tournaments or so. And, um, he's just, he, he's a, he's, he's a mad fellow. I mean, I, I mean, he's got a proper job as well with, with the NHS, but he, I think he loves cricket and he perhaps enjoys our company to, to be bothered every <laughs> every month to come down and <laughs> and kind of put up with all of us and I think he's done a great job with with the unit as a whole and I mean if you think of it uh, domestically I think a lot of the clubs from which these national players are you know kind of pulled into most of these clubs don't have proper coaches so a lot of the cricket people have learned over time is how to say not not self-taught but it's something that you just pick up you watch a lot of cricket Perhaps some of them have played with uh, with some of the men's teams, so they've just gotten a bit better in terms of the quality of cricket they play. But it's mostly for for most of us when we get together as a national squad, it's it's what you learn, what you take back, and, and try and kind of work on that locally. And I guess that whole process has has changed a fair bit in the last 
three, four years since since Michael's come in. And I think that's I think that's done like a major part of going from just knowing how to play cricket to be actually better in some of the skills that you kind of bring into the squad. So I guess that's noticeable for for most of us who've been part of the squad and you know how we train and how being more aware of what what's happening on the field. Because you know five, six years ago the national team was really people who were just available to play and qualified to play. So we just get together, go have a European um, T20 Cup or so. I mean, it wasn't T20Is then, but it was still international game. So to what we played then to how we play now is a pretty different perspective uh, as a player and also as a captain to see how, how we've advanced. So that's, yeah, I, I think that's the major difference, I'd say. Uh, apart from that, I think we're all getting more and more ambitious with more games that we play and the results that are it kind of motivates you to to do better to to aim higher as well so I guess we're all kind of hungry for better performances so that kind of pushes you um, or drives you in in that direction so I I hope that you know both of that combined uh, as I said um, will will show better results this qualifier. We know um, quite a bit about the talent parts uh, for the German men's side and and of course we've also heard about the huge growth in the numbers participation numbers in the men's game. Has it been similar in terms of the growth and and what are the current pathways for aspiring young women cricketers in Germany to get into high performance environments and potentially play for the national team? Yeah, good question. Um, I think it's still a bit different with the women's section in Germany. So currently we still kind of lack an intermediate or like a performance tier, if you like. So we've got domestic Hardball cricket, which is our Bundesliga, as I said, and it's usually T20. Um, that's the only format we play currently in Germany. And some of the better players from these domestic teams. So we've got we've got 15, 14 or 15 domestic teams uh, in, in the northwest, south and east. And I mean, that's that's as well grown over time. I think a few years ago, it was just uh, four or five teams and now... Uh, we've had a we've had a good in- increase in the last three four years, so it's nice to see that clubs are investing in starting and kind of uh, maintaining a, a women's section and and not just you know men's men's league cricket. So so yeah, so the so some of the better Bundesliga players are picked for for the national side, and this has happened. We've had we've had I think quite a few different pathways or structures over the last few years. So currently, it's still. Either the national coach, when he's here on on um, most um, weekends in the month, when he goes around and works with some of the domestic players or the clubs as well, and kind of scouts uh, for for players who could come into the extended national squad, or sometimes I do that as well. So uh, we kind of work on that collectively. But we're we're hoping to set up. I mean, this is something that that the Deutsche Cricket or the DCB um, needs to put a bit more effort and and thought into setting up more regional groups so that you still have like you know the best of the north versus the best of the south rather than just having clubs playing each other and then playing for the German Championship. That's one side of it, but uh, that transition between being a Bundesliga player to the quality that you're expected to play as a national player is, is pretty huge currently so we still need something in between where they 
kind of step in slowly. Not that it's such a drastic difference because when some of us from the national squad, when we play our league games, like the quality is, is very different. <laughs> I mean, it's nice that we're all involved in, in, in the development of those teams. And as I said, some of us are, are also qualified coaches and we kind of run our club setups to kind of recruit new players to promote the game as well as to coach and manage organized fixtures and all of that but uh, beyond the point it's still it's a satisfactory level of cricket I'd, I'd hope that once you get that level better uh, and having like an intermediate structure I think would kind of help to bring in a better pool of players for the national setup so that something still uh, work in progress and I don't I think the guys have got a better setup there where they've got something like a super series I think that's what it was called previously or like the elite league where they do have that um, uh, in between performance uh, structure and uh, I, ho- I hope in the next couple of years for the women we're able to uh, set that up in, 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 a, in a smart way. Yeah, because I think with the the fact that, you know, Germany is also a big country, it's just going around playing cricket on a weekend. If you've got to travel about seven hours to get from Munich to to Hamburg or so, it it really doesn't do much good. So it would be nice to have more more of a um, regional uh, group or structure way or whether you're playing softball, indoor cricket, hardball league, all of that, I think it's got to work more uh, regionally. And that kind of helps with uh, people having to spend less time traveling and actually more focus on on the cricket itself. Um, But I guess these are all things, you know, we've we've discussed. It's just about putting that into effect and operationally how it's going to work. Um, But it's for for the board to think about that. (laughs) Yeah. Now, we've... um... Yeah, we've all heard a lot about the Afghan men who have migrated to, to Germany and, and they've been a huge part of the, the boom in you know, cricket in, in Germany. What's the story with the Afghan women? Was there a, a similar wave of, of Afghan women or was it mostly men? And, and how is that sort of fitting into the growth of the women's uh, side of the sport? Yeah, interestingly, at least for us at our club, we've never had anybody come in to, to our setup through that. So it's only aided for increasing number of or, you know participation numbers in on, on the men's side of things. And I mean I wish it was also the case for <laughs> for women, but but not quite. But I don't know if that's more like a cultural thing or if you know women even in Afghanistan, I don't know how much they're into into sports and how that would have translated to moving to Germany and still picking that up. So it's not quite quite the case so really it hasn't changed anything in terms of numbers or um you know that craze for cricket for uh, afghani women but and, and as i said uh, with with most articles that came out and also the surge in numbers it's it's mostly been for for the men's domestic structures and i think a couple of them even uh, went on to play for the national squad if i'm not wrong so yes um i wish it were the case for the women but not really not that i'm aware of That's the show for this week. Thanks for tuning in once again. And if you liked it, please leave a review and a positive rating on your favorite podcast app as it really does help us to spread the word. Bye for now.